Good evening, everybody. Good to see you. God bless you. Glad you're out with us on a Wednesday evening as we go line by line and verse by verse through the Old Testament. Please turn in your Bibles to 1 Kings chapter 14. 1 Kings chapter 14 this evening. Uh, prior week, I was at the pastor's conference so just as a way of introduction. By the way, does anybody need a Bible? If, if you need a Bible, raise your hand. One of the ushers or elders will bring you one. Well, as I was saying, last week I was at the pastor's conference and Pastor Steve so graciously taught in my stead and what a blessed teaching that was. And um, I had just come back for that. And uh, so just to kind of reacclimate everyone here this evening where we've been, sometimes a week goes by two weeks and we need a little, little primer, a refresher. Uh, we've been looking at Jeroboam specifically. If you remember at this point, um, Rehoboam and Jeroboam have all purposes began almost what we would call as a split, a war between Israel and Judah. Jeroboam has taken the ten tribes. God did, in fact, call him, actually, uh, to be uh, the king there. However, he didn't do it God's way. He took matters into his own hands, and he forced the issue and began to, he began to turn around and uh, uh, not wait upon the Lord. And so he, again, pushed put things in his own timing and his own his own way there. And uh, Rehoboam, okay, Solomon's son at that point, um, had a choice. If you remember, Solomon, you know, Rehoboam could have listened to the elders that were older than him, that had been with his father, that had given him warning and suggested, hey, you know, don't go easy on the people. They've been overtaxed, overburdened. But instead, he listened to his uh, friends, if you will. Counselors are important, aren't they? Councils are important. He listened to his friends. And what ended up happening is basically his friend says, you tell them that if they thought your dad was tough, wait till they see how you tax them and how you handle things. And certainly not good. So this leads to the whole split. And so you've got Benjamin and Judah that represent the south, okay, in Jerusalem. You've got up in the north the other ten tribes, and Jeroboam has gone up and introduced in chapters 12 and 13 a religious system. They brought back calf worship. Not surprising because the calf was one of the gods, lowercase g, that was worshipped in Egypt. And God was very careful to preserve that for us to explain that what they were doing is they were going back to the world. They were worshiping the world system, the religious system, and God had never, ever called Jeroboam to do that. God's plan was for Jeroboam to be the king, but that they were to travel back to Jerusalem and to attend feast days, to go to the temple, to make aliyah, to do the things that they were supposed to do that way. But because of Jeroboam's insecurity, because uh, he thought that if they went back down south, what's going to happen is, what if they get together with Rehoboam? And then they go to, you know, turn around and turn on me, Jeroboam thinking that. And so he literally starts calf worship. He starts a religion. Um, and not only does he leave himself into sin, but he leads all of the ten tribes into sin because they begin to worship in a place that God had never designated a place for worship. And so as we pick up here in chapter 14, we're going to read back through. This is about 931 B.C., just to sort of acclimate you. Uh, we're going to be looking at uh, basically what's going to happen. It, it's interesting because it's going to start off with uh, Jeroboam's son. He's going to be sick. And it's, it's amazing how quick, when troubles come, we remember who our real God is, don't we? He, he's not going to run to the calf. He's not going to run to the high place to go to the calf and say, save my son. But he's going to concoct this whole deal to go down to a, you know, what would be a, you know, someone to tell me what, you know, Sue say or something like that to go through and, to, you know, what is this all going to happen? What's going to happen to my son? He's going to, he's going to tell his wife to dress up and, you know, to play a different person. And I mean, sin begetting sin begetting sin. Let's bow our heads. We'll pray and we'll begin. Father, we just come before you this evening. We ask you to anoint your holy word. Thank you for bringing us here this evening, Lord. We need this, God. 
we're on the precipice in this world right now, Lord Jesus, as you know, of, of men and women putting re religious systems up left and right all around us. But God, you're the one true Lord. There is no other. And you have clearly laid out how you desire to be worshipped. You've clearly laid out how we can follow your instruction as you just pointed us to in Second Samuel, or um, excuse me, Lord, Second Timothy three, just this Sunday. And so, Lord, desperately we come here to hear your word, to, to be taught, to be uh, corrected, Lord, to be convicted as needed. Lord, we know all scripture is given by inspiration. So, Lord, do that work in our hearts tonight. Allow these words to leap off the page into our hearts, seal them, that we, Lord, we would never fall for the same tricks of Satan, the tricks of the devil. Keep us upright. Keep us holy. Set us apart, Lord. We are your servants, and you are our God, and we will worship no one else. We pray and ask this in your mighty name, Jesus, and all God's people pray. Amen. 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 So here we'll look at chapter 14, verse 1. At that time, Abijah, the son of Jeroboam, became sick. And Jeroboam said to his wife, Please arise and disguise yourself that they may not recognize you as the wife of Jeroboam, and go to Shiloh. Indeed... Ahijah, the prophet, is there who told me that I would be king over this people. Again, he remembers who the one true God is. He's going to go back. Uh, I said a soothsayer. I should have been correct. He goes back to the prophet Ahijah and, and says, look, we need to find out what's going to happen here. What's going to happen to our son? Don't, don't go to the calves. Don't go to the... No, no, find the prophet of God. You know what this just reminds me of? Every single person, whether you're a king or anywhere in between, we all have trouble in our lives. We all face trouble in our lives. What do we do when we experience trouble? Do we run to the one true God, or do we look to solve it ourselves? Clearly here, Jeroboam, knowing that God, but he doesn't have a relationship with God, does he? Instead, he's going to work by sending his wife to play a part here. He goes on to say, also take with you 10 loaves, some cakes, and a jar of honey, and go to him, and he will tell you what will become of the child. Now, I will tell you this, that in those days, just so you don't think it's odd today, why would you send someone to Ahijah? In those days, it was very common. Actually, we can even look at extra biblical evidence. Very common that if someone was sick in your family or, or, or something was going on or there was a, a trouble, you would often go to a man of God. You would go to a prophet, a priest, or someone like that. You, even when you actually got f physically sick, you didn't run to a medical doctor, right? Often the medical doctors would turn around, have you been to the, have you been to the priest? Have you been to the pastor? Because our scriptures know and we know that a lot of the things we face are spiritual conditions. A lot of the things we experience are because of spiritual conditions. Certainly not all of them. We understand there's colds, there's viruses and things like that. But a lot of the things, we'd be remiss not to acknowledge this, a lot of the things that do happen are actually spiritual woes. And they manifest themselves physically. And we, we wouldn't be fair to the scriptures if we didn't acknowledge that that could be a possibility when we see sickness. Certainly we don't want to label that because there's too much of that happening today and that's, that's a false gospel. But this was common in that day. And so he sends them to this prophet and Jeroboam's wife did so. She arose and went to Shiloh and came to the house of Ahijah. But Ahijah could not see for his eyes were glazed by reason of his age. We believe uh, today that was where cataracts, you know what cataracts are? That the cataracts had gotten so bad that Ahijah really couldn't make out. Now, certainly, I don't think Jeroboam was worried about being discovered himself. What I think he's doing is truly bringing his wife into the sin. Now, the Lord had said to Ahijah, here is the wife of Jeroboam. Come to ask you something about her son, for he is sick. I love how the Lord does this. Doesn't God go before his own? He goes to Ahijah in this moment. He prepares them. You know, before everybody else, anybody else knows what's going on, there was a messenger. And it's God. He comes and he tells him what's happening. 
prepares him so he's not fooled. You know why? Because God sees everything. God sees every single thing in our lives. No matter what your trouble is, no matter what you're going through, it's, boy, I tell myself this all the time, God sees the heart. There's nothing we can ever do that would ever fool God. And that brings me great joy, great joy, because all things are before the Lord Jesus Christ. Thus and thus you shall say to her, for it will be when she comes in that she will pretend to be another woman. This is crazy. I mean, we're reading this, right? If, if God, if, think about this for a minute. If Jeroboam is sending his wife to go down to, uh, you know, Hijah here, the, the prophet that way, knowing that this man speaks with God, and he tells his wife to put on an outfit to be somebody different as though when she walks in the door, this man needs sight to even recognize her. Do, do you see how insane that whole thing is? Are you, are you tracking with me here as we read? I mean, just, just the ridiculousness of I mean, how ridiculous is this that, that you don't think God is going to turn around? You, you're going to him because you know he speaks with the Lord. He hears from God. But somehow when you go, you're going to trick him and he's not going to know who you really are. Do, do, do you see why in the New Testament it speaks that as the world, as people are given over to sin, how they get and become and have debased minds? Do, do you understand now? Do we see it? It's not a New Testament, New Covenant concept. When God gave someone over to the sin, we see it right in our scriptures before us now. It, it's insanity. They begin to make things. I mean, it, it's, it's crazy. And so it was when Ahijah heard the sound of her footsteps as she came through the door. He said, come in, wife of Jeroboam. Why do you pretend to be another person? For I have been sent to you with bad news. Can, can you imagine, you know, come on in there. How you doing? Good to see you. Well, I guess that's cats out of the bag. I mean, what do I say now? Everything's there. I mean, God knows. Doesn't that bring you comfort tonight? Brings me a lot of comfort. But she's shocked. Don't, don't think for a moment she's not. Because after all, hasn't her husband, as the pastor of the home, hasn't he been leading her to calf worship? She hasn't been able to go back to Jerusalem and worship the one true God. She hasn't engaged in relationship. What did the husband do? The husband was leading her to a religious system as well. So many of these things begin in the home. They begin in the people that we say we love the dearest or sometimes the people we hurt the most. People right in front of us. Go tell Jeroboam, Thus says the Lord God of Israel, Because I exalted you from among the people and made you rule over my people Israel. Again, you remember when somebody was going to be prophetic? They had to give a sign. Remember in those days that they were going to give a prophecy? We read about that already. There would be a sign. The child was going to die or something. They would send a sign first so you knew that what they were saying was from the Lord. This is actually the prophecy. This is the sign that's being given here, if you just want to underline that, so that he can go back and says, hey, I know what's going on here. I know that you were sent. I know what the Lord had spoken to you because after all, he was the prophet that gave that original message. Here's your sign. And tore the kingdom away from the house of David and gave it to you. And yet you have not been my servant, David, who kept my commandments, who followed me with all his heart to do only what was right in my eyes. But you have done more evil than all who were before you. For you have gone and made for yourself other gods and molded images to provoke me to anger, and you have cast me behind your back. Didn't we just sing tonight? The cross before me, the world behind me, no turning back. But Jeroboam turned back. Can you imagine? Knowing the one true God, having and understanding a relationship like that through a prophet coming to you, speaking the, as a mouthpiece of God. We today know that the word, the word of God is the primary way that Jesus Christ speaks to us. But in those days, it was through prophets because we're in the, the times of the prophets. And to think 
And to understand that God had come to you and said, you, I'm ripping it out of David's hands because of the unfaithfulness of Solomon. And then the unfaithfulness of Rehoboam. And so I'm going to raise up a king. But as part of that agreement, if you remember, we read already in the earlier chapters. And as he said, what? It was Susan Vassal Covenant. You don't be like Rehoboam. Don't be like Solomon. And Jeroboam being entrusted, remember, with sort of Solomon's building team. He was part of the building effort and a lot of things that had gone on. He was over the labor force, Jeroboam was. Remember, if that he was one of the people that actually was, you know, hey, don't raise the more taxes. He, he came back. He, was that, this was, he, he knew Solomon was. He had worked under Solomon. He had, he had seen the things that were done there. He knew this was, this was close to home. Do you realize that our sin always looks different on someone else? But so close to home here, he repeated the very same mistakes that Solomon did. I think being seeing mistakes is, is just an understatement. He committed the same idolatry that Solomon did. God's dealing with him on this. He's saying, here's the truth. Here's what's really going on. I'm not holding back. God's not a respecter of persons. Right? Straightforward. Verse 10, Therefore, behold, I will bring a disaster on the house of Jeroboam and will cut off from Jeroboam every male in Israel, bond and free, and I will take away the remnant of the house of Jeroboam as one takes away refuge until it's all gone. As one would remove waste from a septic tank, what have you, right? What's he saying here? What's he describing? He's talking about dung as garbage. He says, I'm going to take it away like dung or garbage. He says that here's the, here's the judgment, Jeroboam, and the, to the wife of Jeroboam. Go back and tell your husband this. Your dynasty ends today. Your dynasty ends today. The dogs now, this, remember back in those days, the dogs were never allowed in the house. They were not domesticated. They were kept outdoors. Dogs were considered some of the most, uh, because they were pack animals, and whatnot, very filthy animals, they, were, they would consider it in those days. And so to say that the dog was going to eat the flesh was about the worst punishment or thing you could think of. When you, when you think of, even today, we, we talk about when somebody dies, right? And we go to a funeral. Ashes to ashes and dust to dust. We return the body back to the ground from which the dust it came. And what this is telling us is there's not a, a blessed burial here. This is not a good thing. If we, if we didn't catch it already and we weren't catching on, he's making sure that everybody understands not just how many thousand years ago, but even today. The dog shall eat whoever belongs to Jeroboam and dies in the city, and the birds of the air eat whatever dies in the field of the Lord. For the Lord has spoken. I mean, this is a huge insult, right? This is a big deal with a disrespectful burial. It's a big deal. Arise, therefore, and go to your own house. When your feet enter the city, the child shall die. That's hard, isn't it? We know people that, you know, have lost a loved one, a child. It's incredibly unnatural and very difficult. And I can only imagine, and, you know, just the strength and the enlargement of heart that you must have for God has done come alongside you in regards to this. This was the sign. This was what was given to the prophetic event. Now, before anybody gets an ill heart towards God here this evening, because what did that child do? Please understand what the punishment was. We have to think in eternal terms, not temporal. In temporal terms, it looks like the child is paying for the sin of the father or mother, doesn't it? But that's not the case at all. Where is the perfect place that you and I all, we all belong Every single one of God's human creation, he desires to be with him in glory, in heaven. He's designed us to be with him forever and ever. And he sent his only begotten son that whomsoever shall believe would what? Have eternal life. 
That's God's design. That's the gospel of Jesus Christ. The goal of life is not to prolong life here. It's really, really not. The purpose of our life is to glorify God until such a time God is done with us, and then we get to go home and be with him. Please understand the punishment that was just cast upon this dynasty, Jeroboam, his children, and what have you. Basically saying everyone that's alive, everything that's happened, terrible things that are going to come to them because of their sin. Not because of what Jeroboam's sin is, because you ever heard the saying, the uh, apple doesn't fall far from the tree? So a lot of the sin that you see here, a lot of things, their kids were doing those things. Jeroboam's kids were. The family was. This isn't something that like, you know, there is no generational sin. What we see here is punishment, judgment being brought on this family because of their sin. He says, you've done worse than those kings before you. Speaking of Solomon and Rehoboam, and just think about that for a minute. What we read and see here is, believe it or not, mercy and grace. Because this child is under the age of accountability, hasn't had a chance to sin, hasn't had a chance to uh, do something wrong. Granted, we're all born into sin. We understand Romans. But the child hasn't had a chance to do anything. So God actually spares the child from this dynasty and curse because of the wickedness and sin. Chances, potentially, is if this child would have grown up, he too would have engaged in the same sin that the brothers and the son and everybody else did. And hence, his fate would have been like the others, eternally separated from God because the wages of sin is death. Right? But God's gift to the believer in Christ is eternal life. Turn in your Bibles, please, to Isaiah chapter 57. I'd like to look at verse 1 together. Isaiah chapter 57. As you're turning there, do you understand now what I mean by the, 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 the temporal and the eternal? For God, bringing this child home is a blessing. Because this child will never face sickness, will never face death, will never face any of the things that you and I, cancers and terrible, terrible things that happen in this earth and the thorns and the thistle because of the curse on this earth. This child will never face that. This child will go and be with Jesus forever and ever and ever. One day you and I as believers in Christ, we, Lord willing, will meet this child and say, you're you know what? We were, oh, you're, you're, you're the son of Jeroboam. You're, you're Abijah. We read about you. Turn to chapter 57, verse 1. Please look at this with me. This has brought me, and I, I believe many, much counsel and comfort and help over the years, especially if there's someone here that's maybe had a miscarriage or somebody here that's had trouble and suffering and difficulty, a loss of a child or someone very precious and near and dear to them. First of all, I want you to know that my heart is poured out for you. Look what he says in verse 1, the righteous perishes. He says the righteous perishes. What does that mean? The right living. And no man takes it to heart. Merciful men are taken away while no one considers that the righteous is taken away from what? Please see what it says there with me. From evil. Do you see that? You see, God knows the future. And often God will spare when I read this passage, I, I think it's a, it's a wonderful passage to, to reflect on, to pray about. But I believe every word of God is true. And what this word is telling us is that when the righteous are taken away, this baby, this child didn't do anything wrong that way. I mean, yes, I know we're all born into sin, but what I mean is of himself, he didn't, right? He's just a child. He's actually removed from evil. It's important to understand that and know that. They're being removed from evil. My heart is it just comforts 
The word of God comforts those tonight because this is these are sober. These are sobering passages. And verse 13, and all Israel shall mourn for him and bury him. Notice that also. He gets a proper burial. There's nothing that's disrespectful or uh, nothing of an insult to him. No, that's not God's plan for him. God's plan is to welcome him into the kingdom of heaven with open arms where there will be no more tears, no more shedding of, you know, any of the things that we have here that we can't wait for Christ to come. And I say this to think about your loved ones that have passed on parents, my parents, right? Your parents, grandparents, loved ones, your widows. They're with Jesus. Friends, if they're born again believers in Christ, they're with Jesus. They're where they belong. Soon it'll be our turn when we're done with the work God has for us on this earth. So often death frightens so many Christians. And yet death, biblically speaking, is one of the most beautiful things as we enter into the throne room of God. It's simply a passage. And I think about those people that have jobs to care for those people, hospice nurses, uh, uh, rehabilitation nurses, doctors, people that, you know, uh, work in homes and, and care for those that are elderly, that they have the privilege to have those last few moments with them before they go to be with Jesus to make sure they know Jesus. That's the plan and purpose. That's why they're there. I, uh, I don't know about you, I'm longing for the rapture. I'm longing for the rapture. Come, Lord Jesus, come. For he's the only one of Jeroboam shall come to the grave because in him there is found something good toward the Lord God of Israel in the house of Jeroboam. Do you see that? There is no such thing as a generational curse. There is none of that. No, each of us are responsible for our own actions and our own deeds, and Jesus Christ is able to forgive all of us if we place our faith and trust in him. And he can reconcile us. Moreover, the Lord will raise up for himself a king over Israel who shall cut off the house of Jeroboam. This is the day, what, even now. And we'll read that uh, Basha, and we'll get there in chapter 15, verse 25. You know, he's an assassin, but basically he's going to be the one that comes in and finishes the job. For the Lord will strike Israel as a reed is shaken in the water. Whoa, what just happened? Did you catch that between verses 14? It was a reflection directly on Jeroboam as a leader, as a king. But please understand the nation is also judged and responsible for the sin. They chose to go and worship, even though the government and the king told them to go worship over here, the golden calf, God said, no such thing. And there is a requirement for that. There is judgment for that. Because they worshipped the king more than they worshipped the Lord. That's a good word for us today. I think that's very apropos. For the Lord will strike Israel as a reed is shaken in the water. He will uproot Israel from the good of the land, which he gave to their fathers, and will scatter them beyond the river because they have made their wooden images. Do you see that? Provoking the Lord to anger. More is caught than taught from an evil perspective as well, huh? That, that's something that we, we need to understand. This is the same God. You, do, you know, I've heard people, oh, there's a God of the Old Testament. God says, no, no, this is the same God. This is a God of love. This is love. Why, why does God want to point this out to the nation of Israel? So they'll stop what? Sinning. They'll stop sinning. He, he wants to correct us so that we don't continue sinning. You got to have light before you have love. You got to have truth. And then once that's poured out, then love simply enters in. Pastor Bill Galton just, I, I shared, I was at the pastor's conference. He, he shared, I was, I, it just made all the sense in the world. As I said before, on Genesis 1, what is that? And the Lord created the heavens and earth. 
and he brought light, right? It doesn't say he brought love. No, he is love, but he brought light. He brought truth. And then when you have truth, then love. Well, pastor, wait a minute. You know, we're, they weren't living in 2021 where, you know, everybody's, you know, we're such a, we're such a culture that has to be so, such respecters of other, we have to be tolerant to every other situation. You know, you can be the best clothed, clothed, the best dressed. You can even be religious and still be led right to the pit of hell. There is to be no other idol in our lives. We serve the one true God. And he is a jealous God, as we read in Exodus, right? Chapter 20. He's a jealous God. We're not to provoke the Lord to anger. And he will give Israel up because of the sins of Jeroboam who sinned and who made Israel sin. So Jeroboam will answer that as well. Our government leaders, that, that's why, you know, Peter tells us, that's why we're to pray for our government leaders, pray for our president, pray for our government authorities. Why? Because they too will be judged for those things. Pastors, why? Because we're doubly judged. These things are real, right? We're to be praying these things. Then Jeroboam's wife arose and departed and came to Terza. When she came to the threshold of the house, the child died. And they buried him, and all Israel mourned for him. Did you notice that? All Israel. According to the word of the Lord, which he spoke through his servant Ahijah, the prophet. It all came to pass, just as God said it would. Now the rest of the acts of Jeroboam and how he made war and how he reigned, indeed they are written in the book of the Chronicles of the King. As we continue on, he, he goes on and, you know, he talks about this, but we don't have all of these extra biblical, it doesn't, obviously God desired not to keep that in the canon for us, Okay. So now the rest of the acts of Jeroboam, he made, the, he made war and how he reigned. Indeed, they are written in the book of Chronicles of the kings of Israel. The period that Jeroboam reigned was 22 years. So he rested with his father. Then Nadab, his son, reigned in his place. Again, a terrible reign. Um, I think one of the things that I, I picked up for this is don't lead God's people into sin. Don't misrepresent God and don't lead his people into sin. Now, as we'll be reading, as we continue through Kings and Chronicles, he's we're going to jump vacillate back and forth. Now we're going to go back to Judah and Benjamin, those tribes in the south. Okay, so now the Re oh, sorry. So now he goes on in verse twenty-one. And Rehoboam, the son of Solomon, reigned in Judah seventeen years. By the way, Rehoboam was forty-one years old when he became king, and he reigned. 17 years in Jerusalem, the city which the Lord had chosen out of the tribes of Israel to put his name there. Do you see that? He didn't put his name back where, uh, uh, you know, Jeroboam was trying to. He put his name in Israel, Jerusalem. His mother's name was Naamah the Ammonitess. Now Judah did evil in the sight of the Lord, and they provoked him to jealousy within their sins, which they committed more than all of their fathers had done. Yeah. For they also built for themselves high places, sacred pillars, and wooden images on every high hill and under every green tree. And there were also perverted persons. Uh, that idea in the Hebrew and what it's, it's talking about is homosexual. It's speaking of sexual sin. It's talking of even things like venereal diseases and, and, and orgies and all those kind of things. They, they, they were basically following the Canaanites and the pagan practices of the land, and they're putting these wood posts up, and they're putting these things up like that. And so it says, they were also perverted persons in the land, and they did according to all the abominations of the nations which the Lord had cast out before the children of Israel. If you remember, that's one of the reasons God was bringing them into that promised land, and they were to be a witness to the rest of the nations around them. They weren't to be conformed to the nations around them. Boy, that sounds familiar. Just like you and I, believers in Christ, we're the salt of the world, right? This, Jesus is the salt of the world, the salt and light. It happened in the fifth year of King Rehoboam that Shishak, king of Egypt, came up against Jerusalem. 
And he took away the treasures of the house of the Lord and the treasures of the king's house, and he took everything. He also took away the gold shields which Solomon had made. I, do, you, do you just, did you catch that? How many years? Some 17 years later. Do you remember reading that together? How all the shields, 150, you know, all this, the gold, everything, all this beauty that was amassed in the, their, their version of the Supreme Court, their version of the temple, all these things. And in such short years, all gone. You know why? Because they left God. They left God. It's all in a moment. Everything can change in a moment. This country, our, our world, our... Our lives in a moment can change. The king, then King Rehoboam, made bronze shields in the place and committed them into the hands of the captains of the guard who guarded the doorway of the king's house. And whenever the king entered the house of the Lord, the guards carried them, then brought them back into the guards' room. Now the rest of the acts of Rehoboam and all that he did, are they not written in the book of the Chronicles of the kings of Judah? You know what we're seeing here? It's all collapsing. Do you remember how wonderful it was? All riches, the wealth, the notoriety, everything that had never been seen before in Israel like it was at the time of Solomon. One generation in this case too, right? We're only two generations away from the, the total annihilation of, of, of Christianity if it's not for the Lord preserving his word. And yet, what are they doing? They're pretending all is well. Isn't that what's happening today? Everything's fine, right? We've got this answer medically got that answer. We need to humble ourselves before our God and pray for forgiveness for the things and the sins and the iniquity we have committed in this land. The things that we've done in the name of humanism, the things that we have done to raise in our minds ourselves to the place of God. It's the only hope we have for this country. It's the only hope we have is repentance. Verse 30, and there was a war between Rehoboam and Jeroboam all their days. So Rehoboam rested with his fathers and was buried with his fathers in the city of David. His mother's name was Namah and Ammonitus, and then Abajam, his son, reigned in his place. So now we're, if you're tracking on the timeline, we're about 913 B.C., okay? 17 years later, 931, we're about 913 B.C., and now we're moving into that next generation again. In the 18th year of King Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, Abijam, became king over Judah. He reigned three years. It didn't reign very long, God, certainly because of the wickedness and things he was doing. His mother's name was Mechah, the granddaughter of Abishalom. You know, the problem here is there's no real relationship with God. And he walked in all the sins of his father, which he had done before him. His heart was not loyal to the Lord his God, as was the heart of his father David. Although I will say he did do some good. And if you want to just well, let's look at that because we could. We'll look at it when we're in Chronicles. But just let's let's pull our finger here and turn to Second Chronicles, please. Let's look at Second Chronicles thirteen. We look at Abijah as he reigns in Judah. In the 18th year of King Jeroboam, Abihijah became king over Judah. He reigned three years in Jerusalem. We just read that back in 1 Kings. His mother's name was Micahiah, the daughter of Uriel, the Gibeah. And there was a war between Abihijah and Jeroboam. Abihijah set the battle in order with an army of valiant warriors, 400,000 choice men. Jeroboam also drew up in a battle formation against him with eight 100,000 choice men, mighty men of valor. This is a civil war, isn't it? Mm -hmm. 
Then Abihijah stood on Mount Zerim, which is in the mountains of Ephraim, and he said, Hear me, Jeroboam, and all of Israel. Should you not know that the Lord God of Israel gave dominion over Israel to David forever, to him and his sons by a covenant of salt? He's actually declaring something here. He's actually standing, and he's, he's going to make the attestation that you're to be worshiping here. What are you doing? He's actually challenging him. Yet Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, the servant of Solomon, the son of David, rose up and rebelled against his Lord. Then the worthless rogues gathered and strengthened themselves against Rehoboam, the son of Solomon, when Rehoboam was young and inexperienced and could not withstand them. And now you think to withstand the kingdom of the Lord, which is in the hand of the sons of David, and you are a great multitude. And with you are the gold calves, which Jeroboam made for you as gods. He's calling them out. You see what he's doing? He's calling them out right now. Have you not cast out the priests of the Lord's? The Lord, excuse me, the sons of Aaron and the Levites and made for yourselves priests like the peoples of the other lands so that whoever comes to consecrate himself with a young bull and seven rams may be a priest of things that are not gods. That's idolatry, isn't it? Basically made his own religious system here. He's calling it out, this man. I just want us to see that this, this, this Abahijah, how he's calling these things out. We read over there, well, it's three years, you know. But, but he did stand up and, 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 you know, challenge Jeroboam and the evil and the wickedness that was going on. But as for us, the Lord is our God, and we have not forsaken him. Well, and the priests who minister to the Lord are the sons of Aaron, and the Levites attended to their duties. And they burned to the Lord every morning and every evening, burnt sacrifice and sweet incense. They also set the showbread in order on the pure gold table and the lampstand of the gold lamps to burn every evening. For we keep the command of the Lord, our God, but you have forsaken him. Did you see that right there? We keep the command of the Lord, our God, but you have forsaken him. So I, I just wanted us to see and turn back here, but I just wanted us to see that it, it wasn't all terrible. He did stand up, but ultimately we're going to find out what the problem was. He walked in the sins of his father, which he had done before him. His heart was not loyal to the Lord. What was his sin? He didn't have a relationship with God. You can follow all the religious meanderings and, you know, light candles and do all of the rituals that you want to do. But if you don't know Jesus, if he's not your Lord and Savior, you don't have a relationship with God. We need Jesus. Nevertheless, for David's sake, the Lord, his God, gave him a lamp in Jerusalem by setting up his son after him and establishing Jerusalem. Because David did what was right in the eyes of the Lord and had not turned aside from anything that he commanded him in all the days of life except the matter of Uriah the Hittite, and there was a war between Rehoboam and Jeroboam all the days of his life. Now the rest of the acts of Abijam and all that he did, are they not written in the book of the Chronicles of the kings of Judah? And there was war between Abijam and Jeroboam. So Abijam rested with his fathers, and they buried him in the city of David. Then Asa, his son, reigned in his place. Now in the 20th year of Jeroboam, king of Israel, Asa became king over Judah. And he reigned 41 years in Jerusalem. His grandmother's name was Makahah, the granddaughter of Abishalom. Asa did what was right in the eyes of the Lord as his father did. You see that there? Whenever we read in scripture, the rest of the Kings and Chronicles, it'll always be compared, always be compared to David. What David did. Was David a perfect man? No. No, we just read about David's sin. But David had a heart after God. David would repent, he would turn back, and God restored him because he would come back and deal with those. There are certainly consequences, but, but David was faithful compared to Solomon, right? Or who wouldn't repent. How many times? Twice he went to him and gave him opportunity. Hey, these things are going to happen. And all Solomon would have needed to do is repent and turn back to God. But Solomon knew more than God. Solomon was a loner, right? He was a loner. We don't read about all the other, we don't read any of that. We read how easily he knows it all. Asa did what was right in his eyes of the Lord as his father David. 
And he banished the perverted persons from the land. You see, what had already been built up and set up, he comes now and takes down. Praise the Lord for that. And removed all the idols his father made. Remember back chapter 14, verse 24, speaking of Rehoboam. All the things Rehoboam set up, we just read it in verse 24 of chapter 4. He's now taking those things down. And he also removed Makahah, his grandmother, from being queen mother because she had made an obscure image. This idea, again, obscene, excuse me, I meant to say. Obscene image, this idea here is something that is horrible uh, or abominable in the Hebrew. That's what we get here from this, something abominable. And he removed his grandmother queen. So what are we learning here? First of all, uh, it says it's by the brook Kidron. Now that's east of Jerusalem near the garbage dump. He put it all in the dump. He didn't turn around and say, you know what? This is good stuff. Let's turn around and recirculate it. He didn't take his old DVDs and movies and said, boy, I can't watch these things in the house anymore. Let me put them on eBay and see how much I can get for them. No, really, you, you tracking with me? He didn't do that. He took it out and he burned it. Because it wasn't enough that his house wasn't going to sin. He didn't want that to enter anyone else's house so they too would be ensnared in sin. But the high priests were not removed. That's important. That's important. But the high places, I meant to say, I said priests, excuse me. But the high places were not removed. Nevertheless, Asa's heart was loyal to the Lord all his days. Ah, just think about this. It won't be till Josiah, some 300 years from now, in which I'm, you, we read here, till finally these high places are taken down. 300 years of pagan worship. Is God not long-suffering? God is long-suffering. God is very long-suffering. He also brought into the house of the Lord the things which his father had dedicated and the things which he himself had dedicated, silver and gold and utensils. Now there was a war between Asa and Basha, the king of Israel, all those days. And Basha, king of Israel, came up against Judah and built Ramahah. Now, just so you understand what's going on here. Basically, by building Ramahah in between the territory of the north and the south, by building a road like that, or should I say, because he's building Ramahah, he can block the road. What does that stop people from the, from the north doing? They can't get down to worship in Jerusalem in the south. That's what they're telling us here. This is what the Holy Spirit's telling us. That was going on. Basha king, he sets this up. He had obviously replaced, you know, he's the king of Israel. He had turned around and replaced Jeroboam and what have you, Nadab and all that. And so he had set up this so that the people couldn't go down and worship. He blocked the road that he let, may, not let, may not let go out or come in to Asa, king of Judah. Then Asa took all the silver and gold that was left in the treasury. Now, again, everything we read with Asa was, man, he was dynamite, right? Except for the high places. But it's not how you start. What is it? How you finish. Over and over again, that's a lesson in Scripture. It's not how we start. It's how we finish. How did David finish, right? David, boy, he started good, mid of the road. He kind of got a little bumpy, but he finished well. Solomon started great but didn't finish well 20 years into a 40-year kingdom, king, you know, kingship. Rehoboam crashed and burned right away. And, and you know, and now Asa starts so well, but, but what do we see? So it says there was a war between Asa and Beshar, king of Israel in those days. And Beshar, king of Israel, came up against Judah and built Ramah. We read that. And then he might let none go out or come in to Asa, king of, Israel, king of Judah. So Asa took all the silver and gold that was left in the treasuries in the house of the Lord and the treasuries of the king's house, and he delivered them into the hand of his servants. And King Asa sent them to Ben-Hadad, the, yeah, the son of Teramon, the son of Hezion, the king of Syria, who dwelt in Damascus, saying, what did he do? He tried to buy protection. He tried to buy protection. He tried to buy favor from Syria. What's that mean he's not doing? He just had, you know, just before that, we saw this great speech from the king before him. You remember that? Abijam, when he turned around, he challenged the north and Jeroboam and those folks and said, we have the one true God. We have followed the commands of God. I know asses after that, but nonetheless, as a king after that, what, what does he do? 
instead of going to God and asking for help and strength, right? He turns around, he says, I'm going to take matters into my own hand. Second Chronicles chapter 16 verses uh, t- 7 through 10 tells us God was not happy with this. This is not something God authored. God didn't want him to do this. This was his own dealing. He was trusting in himself. So he says, let there be a treaty between you and me as there was between my father and your father. See, I have sent you in present of silver, sent you a present of silver and gold. Come and break your treaty with Ashok, king of Israel, so that he will withdraw from me. What's he doing? Trusting in man and not God. So Ben-Hadad needed King Asa and sent the captains of his armies against the cities. He heeded him. He basically said, okay, I agree. He, he turns around and he says he attacked Ejon, Dan, Abel, Beth, Machon, and Chinneroth with all the land of Naphtali. Now it happened when Basha heard it that he stopped building Ramaha and remained in Terza. What did he do? He stopped making the fortress to block the route, to block the route. Then King Asa made a proclamation throughout all Judah. None was exempted. And they took away the stones of the Timur of Ramaha, which Basha had used for building. And with them, King Asa built Geba and Benjamin and Mizpah. The rest of the acts of Asa and all his might, all that he did and all the cities he built, are they not written in the book of the Chronicles of the kings of Judah? But in the time of his old age, he was diseased in his feet. So Asa rested with his fathers and was buried with his fathers in the city of David, his father. Then Jehoshaphat, his son, reigned in his place. Something just to think about here. Often in our lives, we're presented with situations and troubles again, things that happen. And it's very clear and easy just to try to figure it out on your own, right? He's got tons of men around him. He's a king. Why didn't he call and ask for counsel? That's the first thing I think about. What should I do in this situation? Should we pray? Yeah, always first. (laughs) What do I do? Second thing that comes right out of this is a very good lesson for us is not to trust in man's wisdom, including our own, my own, because my emotions are going to betray me every single time. You know, uh, clearly here, uh, God, as I said in 2 Chronicles 16, doesn't bless this. He doesn't honor it. And what he's looking at is that the means justify what? The end. Or the ends, I should say, justify the mean, better put. Do we do that in our lives? Do we turn around and compromise or consider other things? Uh, It's easy to do it. I think it's easy to do that. It's easy to look at what's going on and say, I was right. I took a stand. But not have all the context. It's so easy to do that. If you've just gone to God, what does God want him to do? I think, you know, living today in this world with so many things happening and changing so quickly, I mean, you're following what's going on. I, I pray you're not watching the news, but you're following what's going on, some of you. I mean, you're, I mean, I mean today we just had a, a health system say that they're going to deny giving a, a kidney transplant to a donor because they're not vaccinated. Are you kidding me? So we're going to let somebody die today because it's you're unvaccinated. Tomorrow it's because you're obese. The next day it'll be because of this. Where does it end? Where does this end, this division, this, this infight? Where, where is this going to end? We need wisdom from on high. We need God. We need Jesus. We need his, we need his strength. We need to understand how to do it. I mean, these things are happening can you imagine that person that's, that's in the hospital or they, they, they had received word? Yeah, no problem. You don't have to be back. Come on in. They're there. They're, they're getting ready. And, and even the donor says, oh, no, I'm sorry, you can't. You're laying there. You're going to die. No, I'm sorry. You don't, you don't fit the qualification, the criteria. Didn't, he, didn't, didn't Jesus say the love Many will grow or wax cold. Come, Lord Jesus, come. Come, Lord Jesus, come. We're going to stop there for tonight. We'll, we'll come back if the Lord tarries. I, I'm not sure he will. If the Lord tarries to next week, next Wednesday, I encourage you all to come back. This, this is heavy stuff. This is good, though. We need this. Don't we need this? That's why I invited many of you out on Sunday. I said, come here on Wednesday. We need the word of God. We need the whole counsel of God. Uh, the musicians, please come up.
uh, give us a closing song, uh, a closing song, please. I just, I just leave you with this thought this evening. Look, I, I don't know. I don't know what's vying for your attention. I don't know what troubles are going on in each and every one of your lives. But I know every one of you is facing something. Some people are, are being threatened uh, with losing jobs today. Some employers can't find people to work jobs. Inflation, gas prices out of control, things are not good in this world. Pastors being arrested on tarmacs or held in communist countries against their will, imprisoned. Friends, this is not a time to grow weary. This is not a time to doubt. This is a time to press into Jesus Christ and the word of God like you have never pressed into the truth in your entire life before. Because these things are happening. And just in a moment, everything changed as we just read it. It took a moment. Just maybe God is giving us these precious moments to pray for this country, to pray for this world, to pray for those that don't know Jesus, to pray for those that are sick and troubled, to pray for those that need encouragement and spiritual healing because they're destitute and lost. They think everybody's given up on them. This is a time the church comes by the side and bears the burdens of one another, not runs from each other. Press in, beloved, press in. no turning back no turning back Jesus Christ loves us he's died for us he's coming for us this world has nothing to offer you or I 
Jesus lies before us. He stands before us. He's standing in the gate and he's calling us home. Be faithful. Run the race God has given you. Stay in your lane. Trust Jesus. He's coming soon. Father, we just thank you. We thank you for your holy word. We thank you for your gospel. We thank you for your truth, your light, and your love. Lord, strengthen our hearts. In these last days, whatever may befall us, Lord, don't let us turn back. Don't let us look back, Lord. Let our eyes be affixed on you, Jesus. Lord, your will be done. We pray all of this in your name, Jesus Christ. And all God's people pray. Amen. I love you all. God bless you.